This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeper Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Ila Dubrovsky, and with me, of course, is first of all, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Brian, last week, you were a little bit down on the whole Eric Carlson trade. How are you feeling this week? Are, do you have reason to be more optimistic? We are a podcast. <laughs> And uh, and we'll we'll keep going. We've got the energy. We're ready to go. Even actually, Elon, this episode is so exciting. This is a double headliner episode. It reminds me of the time that you and I went to see Bell and Sebastian and the new pornographers at the same concert. This is like that, but for hockey podcasting. Wow. Okay. This is the longest we've ever gone having a guest on the show and not introducing him. So let's get to that. We've got the host of the Hockey PDO cast, one of my favorite hockey podcasts out there, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome, Dmitry. Guys, what's happening? And thanks for having me on the show. So exciting to have it's you so here. Nice to have you. Would you prefer to be the new pornographers or Bell and Sebastian? Um, I'll go with the new pornographers. I'm a fan. Okay. I- I don't know. I disagree, though, because I feel like new pornographers are like the big, crazy energy band and Bell and Sebastian's more like the one that has the substance. Mm. So I feel like that definitely is your podcast is more Bell and Sebastian. But yeah, I mean, after that, after that intro to start the show for you, I, mean, I guess you're, you're bringing the energy for this episode. <laughs> yeah. So we'll try to keep it up as we go through. So like Brian said, it's a double header. Here's the plan. We're going to go through every single NHL team and talk about some news and notes from the preseason, what players are finding us interesting. We're going to do the Western Conference here right now. And then we're going to record another episode for the PDO cast right afterwards for the Eastern Conference. So once you listen to this, you'll just have to go and download the PDO cast episode and you'll hear our thoughts on the Eastern Conference. So how about that? Let's then get started with the Western Conference and start with the Anaheim Ducks. Some interesting line combinations coming out recently. I saw that they've been running going into today's game. Getzlaff, Raquel, and a guy named Troy Terry, and then Corey Perry, Andrew Cogliano, and Sam Steele, and then Kasha, Henrik, and Silverberg with Kessler and Eves still hurt. So it was really interesting. I read a good article on The Athletic about this, and I feel like, Brian, we were really big on Andre Kasha when we recorded our Almanac as a breakout candidate. Last year, he had a great season. He had a 47-point pace, 38 points in 66 games, going only into his age 23 season. But now if I see this guy, Troy Terry, is playing on line one with Getzoff and Raquel, I mean, come on, maybe now he's the sleeper guy on Anaheim's. Actually, Dimitri, you're the guest. What do you think about these Ducks lines? And do you think Troy Terry might be making an impact next year? 
It's that's a good question. I'm a big fan myself of Andre Kasha, so I'm glad that you guys talked him up. Um, you know, obviously last year he was doing remarkably well in the minutes he was getting, particularly at a five on five level. Obviously, wasn't getting the power play usage or the raw volume at five on five to really kind of take his game to the next level. And unfortunately, with the way these lines have been distributed, I wonder if he's going to get that opportunity this year. It feels like, you know, for the most part, his value to the Ducks and as an actual NHL player might unfortunately still exceed his actual value as a fantasy contributor for your lineup so i wouldn't necessarily go all in on him but he's kind of one of those guys that you can probably get towards the end of your draft that has upside and is going to be a fun player to own just because he's such a dynamic player to watch that you know the upside definitely is there yeah he's 23 years old and a lot of people think that Corey perry is the next best duck after getzlaff and raquel but last year if you're just going by point scoring rates it was kasha he was mm-hmm. he was third on the team ahead of Corey Perry. And then, uh, and then let's talk about this Troy Terry guy for a second. I'll, I'll say it for you, Elon. Who's Troy Terry. Is that even his name? Do I have that right? You got it. Yes. Do you guys okay. want to, do you guys want a little, uh, a little bio, a little background on Troy Terry? Please. Um, so he was actually running mates with uh, Henrik Borgstrom, who we're going to get into on the Florida Panthers section. Um, in college and so he was he was a pretty good player for them i i don't know what his nhl projection is or what his translation for that is upside but um yeah it's, it's always fascinating for these preseason line combinations to see how much of it is just sort of filler and noise and how much of it is actually something that's going to translate into the regular season yeah and troy terry's name might also sound familiar if you were not following uh the ncaa's National Collegiate Hockey Conference Division One last year, where he was playing at the, the University of Denver, like you said, Dimitri, with Henrik Borgstrom. By the way, he, he was second in points in the NCHD and led the entire conference in assists. Um, and you might also know his name from some shootout heroics at mm-hmm. the 2017 w- World Junior Championships. And then in the Olympics uh, that apparently happened this past winter, like mm-hmm. there was hockey played. I didn't really realize it, uh, but he had five assists in five games. Cool. So that will be exciting to watch. Again, we're going to be talking about a lot of preseason lines and kind of what's going on. Because people want to know, like, who are the great sleepers based on deployment? And I feel like now's the great time to think about stuff like that. Of course, that's it. Everything can change. Troy Terry could, like, not even make the team. But if he plays with Getzlaff and Raquel, that's, like, such an amazing spot. A great opportunity to pick up points. By the way, so that's Anaheim, I guess. Dimitri, we have a plan for this episode. I forgot to even mention, I got so excited, I just went right into it. You had this whole stressful idea, like an episode of 24. Why don't you tell everyone what we're going to do? Well, so we're going to do four minutes per team. I'm timing it. Unfortunately, I was a bit late on the trigger. I forgot we were doing that. So I started this one a bit late. I'm not sure where we're at right now. I think we're at two minutes. We've been talking a bit longer than that probably. But uh, we're going to do four minutes per team. Um at least try to follow that script. Sometimes we might go over, sometimes we might go a bit under based on the team. But um, one final note I have here for the Ducks that I wanted to get to with you guys is the blue line. How do you rank, um, I guess, those like top three or four guys that they have on their defense in terms of uh, where you'd be targeting them in drafts? Uh, Brian, how about I'll go first? I think Brandon Montour is the really exciting one. Cam Fowler's been the top power play defenseman for a few years now, and he's never really broken out to any major extent. And now, last year, Montour got on that top power play near the end of the season. He didn't produce that well. Like, overall, he only had 32 points. But I feel like, you know, only going into his age 24 season, I feel like Montour is the one who I'm excited about, at least in fantasy. I feel like Cam Fowler, sure, he might be good for 35, 40 points. He barely shoots. like He doesn't hit or block. Like, I know that's very fantasy 
otherwise for the people who listen to the PDO cast, maybe they don't, you know, aren't used to this <laughs> fantasy talk. But yeah, Montour is the one that I'm definitely more excited about. He's the one who's getting drafted a lot earlier, I think, than Cam Fowler in most leagues. Yeah, Montour has the hype backing him up and he deserved it. Like he had a pretty good year last season and he, he still has to, in my mind, supplant Cam Fowler, though, who is the incumbent, uh, maybe just in name only at this point. And then, of course, there's also uh, Josh Manson, who we actually forgot to cover. He's he's one of the few fantasy relevant players or or relevant players in the NHL uh, that we didn't cover. And oh, is it too early for an almanac plug? Sorry, I didn't mean to go down this route. But essentially, you're looking on the Anaheim blue line. Yeah, Montour, Fowler. And then probably Josh Manson. And then the name we're not at all saying is Hampus Lindholm, who I think we're all sort of giving up on as having offensive upside until they actually ask him to do it. I think he could if they asked him to, but the Ducks don't want to ask him. Yeah, it's similar like with Mark Edward Vlasic with the Sharks, where he's just too valuable to them from an actual on ice, like matching up against the other team's best players perspective to get those cushy offensive minutes where he can rack up a lot of points. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, though he did have actually 31 points in 69 games last season. That's a 37-point pace, which is not too shabby. That's more points than Brandon Montour did. But if you're not getting on the top power play, it's hard to expect any upside higher than that. Maybe that's even a little bit too high. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a, he's a talented player. Um, all right, we're well over four minutes here. Let's uh, <laughs> Let's get to the Coyotes. We're already behind pace. All right, so starting now, four minutes per team. Dimitri, you got to be tough on us because Brian and I like to go on about these players. On the Coyotes, Brian I want to talk. Brian, and I, why, Brian, you disagree? I think it's mostly you. All right, we're cutting into our Coyotes time, <laughs> Brian. And I want to talk about Richard Panic, who has been playing with Stepan and Hinestroza and on the top power play. Galchenyuk was playing with Keller and Fisher, but now Galchenyuk is injured, unfortunately. We still don't know the severity yet. And so we may go back to this line that was really great at the end of last season of Panic, Stepan, and Clayton Keller, of course. And obviously, you want to be on the line with Clayton Keller if you want to be the successful line in Arizona. And Richard Panic was very interesting to me at 15 points in 20 games to end the season. And if he's on the top line and the top power play just like last year he to me seems like a guy who could really sneak in and do well he did have short spurts of doing well in Chicago and I'd be very curious to see what he would do with a full season on the Coyotes especially if he's playing with Clayton Keller and Derek Stepan the whole time I think obviously um it's not necessarily a surprise to say that Clayton Keller is the guy that's intriguing on that line and, and that has the most upside. You, I love what I saw from him last year. Obviously, he had a bit of that lull throughout the midseason, I feel like, where he got off to a really hot start and then he finished the year well. But just his shot generation numbers throughout the season lead you to believe that if he's able to keep that going, and I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, that he's going to be an offensive monster. And I, I got to say, I didn't expect this section to start with uh, – with a, with a good conversation about Richard Panic, so I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> hey, we got to go deep. You know, everyone knows that Clayton Keller is amazing, but definitely I'm curious to see how high he'll go. Like, I could see 75 points easily for him if he can, you know, do the same thing he did last year, except not have those a couple short stre- cold stretches. Like, aside from that, he was getting almost a point per game for good long stretches. But Brian, come on, give everyone your thoughts on Richard Panic. That's what they came for. Yeah, well, we were talking about Richard Panic all the way through the end of last season when he did have those 15 points in 20 games to end the year. And... Like these line combos are kind of odd with Galchenyuk, a healthy Galchenyuk playing with Keller and Fisher. Uh, and then now it looks like Penick, Stepan, and Keller should be reunited on the top line. I feel like that's what should happen anyway. It would be nice if the Coyotes could roll two sort of even top six lines, but I don't think they quite have the personnel to do it. Uh, you have to think they'd be better just loading one up and then. Hopefully, Panic is somebody who gets to benefit from that sort of thing. Even if he does shuffle around the top six, though, he will get to either play with Derek Stepan or Alex Galchenyuk, which are two 
capable centers. So it should be a decent situation for him regardless, so long as he can hang in the top six. And I feel like he should. Yeah, though it's a bummer about Galchenyuk's injury. He was looking really good in, I think it was the game or two he got in. And now, yeah, we don't know. Apparently, we're going to find out later in the week. But I was so excited to make fun of my Habs friends, you know, Hab fan friends, about how Max Domi is suspended and Alex Galchenyuk's doing so well. And now Galchenyuk's injured. It's a bummer. Here's the one question I have for you guys about this lineup that I think could really, depending on how it plays out, um, either vault them into... Guys, I feel like they're kind of like that preseason sleeper sexy team that ended the year well in the previous season, and now everyone's talking them up. And whether they can actually achieve that potential is that third line, which looks like it's going to be with uh, with Christian Dvorak, Michael Grabner, and, and Dylan Strom. And I guess Strom is the most interesting name there just because he obviously has the prospect and draft pedigree, but we haven't really seen it from him yet at this level. He's he's put up great numbers in a major junior at, at the AHL level, but you know, it's only 28 games or so in the NHL and he's still 21 years old, but I feel like people are kind of already kind of discarding him and writing him off. Do you think that's a mistake that we're kind of getting too ahead of it and we should give him more time to develop? I mean, he's, he certainly has not been in anyone's good graces over the course of his, his admittedly young career, right? This is still going to only be his age 21 season. Uh, you've got it exactly right. Dimitri he has 10 points in 28 career games hasn't really seen a ton of ice like sort of middle six minutes uh, in those games it on one hand you can say he hasn't actually been given a fair shake on the other you can say maybe there's a reason he hasn't yet gotten a fair shake and I'm not sure from the third line what kind of impression he's going to be able to make now that he's behind two very capable NHL centermen so I'm getting kind of concerned that he's just going to be buried and maybe he's a candidate for someone who in a year or two gets a change of scenery uh, and a new lease on life and takes on a role that he just is not going to be able to take on as a coyote. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Also, yeah. like, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's a thing, a podcast with three people. We don't do this very often. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just, let, let me make one, one more thought on, on Strom. Obviously, he needs to work on on his skating. That's a big knock on him. So we're going to see if he's been able to shore that up a bit um, in the off season. What about anti Ranta? Sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to step on your uh, on your hosting toes <laughs> here, but the we're already at four minutes. But I, I do feel like we need to get into this before we move off from the Coyotes. Um, you know his remarkable numbers throughout his NHL career in, in limited samples. He's never started over forty ish games or so. Um, you know if he's able to actually string together a 55, 60 game season this year. Are you expecting a drop-off in performance or should we be thinking of this guy as one of the potentially upper echelon goalies in fantasy? I mean, it's like he has a lot of hype and a lot of buzz going into the season, right? Like you said, like a 930 save percentage last season when he was healthy. Unfortunately, he got injured. I feel like the Coyotes' potential playoff hopes or even just to be a contender for the playoffs, it all depends on if they're going to get the goaltending out of Antirata, healthy goaltending. I like their defense. Like I like, you know, OEL, Goligoski, Chikrin, Demers, Jalmerson. Like they got Osterley. Like they seem to be decently deep on defense. They should be able to help Ranta out pretty well. Ranta's shown that he could be good. Obviously, it's tough to predict someone who's never had a full season like we've been talking about how Andre Vasilevsky was like everyone's darling but if you actually look at it he's never played a full season and done well like the whole way through like last year he really kind of slumped at the end and so we don't know like maybe Ronta will be like that like maybe Ronta is like Vasilevsky except he didn't get to the point where he fell off a cliff a little bit not to say, you know not to throw Vasilevsky too far under the bus but yeah it's interesting but I feel like a lot of people are excited and you know it's hard to say but I'd be excited to have Ranta, especially if it's sort of like my second goalie on my fantasy team. Like maybe I don't want to put all my hopes and dreams on him, but he seems like a really solid option on a team that should be up and coming. I am nervous about this Galchenyuk injury, though. I'll tell you that. 
I'll add one thing before we move on from Arizona. It's that you have to expect baby steps, right? Arizona has been bad for a while and they still are not the deepest team up front. Yeah, they do seem to have a, a more than serviceable decor and a good goalie. But if you're picking Auntie Ranta, thinking that uh, he's going to be able to collect, you know, 35, 40 wins, you might be dreaming a little bit. Like you've got to really temper your expectations for just like a step forward for the Coyotes would be five more wins. Like that's it. Um, so, so you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself and thinking, oh yeah, all of a sudden they're a playoff team and they're a contender and they're still in a, a, a conference that's going to give them some trouble too. What do you think, Dimitri? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, you nailed it right in the head there where I think if he's your second goalie, he's got the potential to potentially give you like a second number one guy, but I wouldn't be fully investing in him just because it is still slightly shaky based on the win potential and also the fact that we've never really seen him play a full season's workload. Um, all right, let's start our four minutes on Calgary starting now. Okay, good, because I was actually going to say some more about Ronta, but that was smart to turn me up. And then starting now, we're going to be four minutes, every team for sure. So Calgary, <laughs> they went to China, and their lineup actually is ended up, we've been fig- trying to figure out all summer long like, who's going to play with Gajor and Monaghan. Is it going to be Lindholm? Is it going to be James Neal? And maybe there was a dark horse, Matthew Kachuk, in Calgary, at least, sorry, I should say in China, at least it was Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Elias Lindholm, and then Kachuk playing with Backlund and James Neal. So this could be great for Elias Lindholm if he could stick on that top line. He's never broken 50 points before, but if he could get on the top line, maybe even the top power play, I don't know if I'm going too crazy, that could be huge. So I feel like Elias Lindholm's stock is really going up going into the season if he's going to be playing on that amazing top line like that's like you know Getzlaff and Raquel but maybe even better no for sure I agree with that 100% I think that the Flames can't really go wrong here with how they distribute that right wing because I was gonna say you know I'd like I'd love to see a guy like James Neal playing with Goodrow and Monaghan just because he'd be such a nice trigger man for Goodrow to be getting the puck to but Matthew Kachuk is one of the most underrated gifted playmakers in the league. So I think if you've got Neil with him on that second line, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm just, I'm just happy that, and I love Michael Froelich to death as an actual NHL player, but he's kind of shown that he's a bit of a black hole in terms of finishing ability. So the fact that he's not going to be submarining that, that line with Kachuk and back on their five on five in terms of actually converting all that possession into goals is a massive step in the right direction, in my opinion. So Dimitri, would you say that even if Elias Lindholm is the one who ends up on that second line, he's still an upgrade offensively over Michael for a league. Yeah, I'd say so for sure. I mean, obviously with Lindholm, he had that draft pedigree and and I think he's a talented player and he's still, it's important to remember that he's still super young, but he hasn't really lived up to that full potential yet from some of those other guys from that draft class. So I think, However, they distribute those six guys in their top six. I'm perfectly okay with pretty much all of those combinations. So I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. But I think I'd be investing in all those guys at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I just I'm I'm with you on Lindholm in that he's young and there still seems to be room for improvement. He's 24 years old, but we've seen now it's been four years of him being a 40, 45 point player, and there hasn't even been. You know, if you try and dig into his numbers a little bit and see, oh, did he grow here? Or maybe did he grow here? And it's like, no, he didn't. He's been sort of flatlined since he's come into the league. So I, this could be a better situation than ever. I mean, we've all heard this one before about Elias Lenome. This is going to be the year. He's finally in the right place with the right people. Although uh, line one, if he does get with Gaudreau Monahan, is is going to be better than anything he ever had in Carolina. And I'm very interested to know how... Uh, him being over there with his old coach, Bill Peters, who did not get a career year out of Lindholm last year or anything that broke his career mold. So Mm -hmm. we'll see if, if, if they can do it again together this year. 
So, Brian, when you said he was, like, not growing here, not growing there, you mean in terms of, like, his different underlying numbers, like how many shot attempts and, and all of that kind of thing? Yeah, essentially just talking his offensive rate stats. And so, Dimitri, what do you think about James Neal? Like, if he is on the second line, like you say, he's playing with Matthew Kachuk, who's really great. At the same point, James Neal's, like, the, one of the only guys on Vegas last year who didn't, like, break out and have insane numbers that no one expected. Like, he only had 44 points in 71 games overall, which is surprising, considering he was on a second line with, like, Eric Halla, who was breaking out and had, like, 55 points, I think a pace of closer to 60. What do you think about James Neal for next year? Do you think he could get back to being, like, the James Neal that used to be, like, for sure you were so excited to have him on your fantasy team? Or do you think maybe he's just, like, a 50-point guy at this point yeah i think it's more of the latter i mean I'd, I'd still be perfectly excited to have him on my team especially i think he's probably going to come at a bit of a depreciated price from where he was going during his prime but you know especially playing with a guy like matthew kachuk i could very easily see 25 to 30 goals for neil assuming health and and that's a very valuable you know contributor especially in terms of the fact that he's going to be piling up the shots as well so yeah i like james neil this season i mean you're right he didn't necessarily have a crazy season last year by any means and it seemed like he was the only guy in vegas you could say that about but he had sort of like your typical james neal season at this point and i think that's what we're expecting for again in 2018-19 yeah yeah i think that's oh no i don't even need to jump in there go ahead elon Uh, no that's good that's all i have to say i was about to say should we move on to the next team we've i think we kept it under the four minutes this time didn't we well we're at we're exactly at four minutes but unfortunately we do have to talk about this blue line for at least a minute (laughs) okay I'm i'm just curious for your guys take so Obviously, a couple of years ago, we saw the great chemistry between TJ Brody and Mark Giordano, and they were putting up great numbers together. And then they split them up when Dougie Hamilton came, and TJ Brody sort of fell off the map. And part of that was due to the fact that he wasn't really playing with great defensive partners. Do you think that it's reasonable to expect that he could have a bounce back season now that he's back playing with Giordano in the top air? I don't know. I've never been sold on on uh, TJ Brody. As oh, those are the the famous sirens, the famous there we go. Sirens. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna warn you guys that it's gonna <laughs> definitely happen at some point. I love it. Now I really feel like I'm getting the full PDO cast experience. <laughs> um, TJ Brody, and I've never bought into him as an offensive player. I think the only years that he has been a quality one, he's been leaning on some friendly percentages and and some really over deployment on the power play. And I just don't see that happening this year, especially like it's got to be Giordano who quarterbacks the top unit in my mind. And then next in line, if it's not Giordano is Noah Hannafin. So perhaps Brody's even strength production bounces back and that makes him uh, somewhat useful in fantasy, but I, I can't see him getting more than 35 points. Yeah, I feel like he's like more of the stay-at-home guy that's helping. Though he seems to always get on the top power play. And that's really the interesting thing with Calgary. Like every year, like last year, it was when Kachuk and Hamilton both got on the top power play at the end of the year. Before that, they were going with Furland and Brody were there. But anyways, once they got Kachuk and Hamilton there, like both of those guys really started to break out and were producing at a much higher clip than they were before that. So it'll be interesting to see who gets there this year. You'd hope that, you know, it's Matthew Kachuk there again. And, you know, Mark Giordano, maybe Noah Hannafin gets a shot and Hopefully not TJ Brody because he never seems to get any points there. So it just feels like kind of a wasted spot in terms of, at least in terms of fantasy. You know, it's like, oh, I got to pick up Brody. He's on the top power play. He never does anything. Yeah, no, it's just a ton of minutes and not much production. All right, let's um, let's do Chicago. This time we're actually going to do four minutes. I know you've heard us say that a couple times already, but we're going to do it. All right, uh, lead us into it. 
Okay, yeah. Well, the good thing is Chicago doesn't really have that many defensemen to talk about, so we don't need to <laughs> spend too much time on that. The forwards are interesting, though. They've been going with some new line combinations for next season. That's what they've been doing in training camp, at least. They've been having Kane with Schmaltz and Brendan Saad. We recall last year, Saad was with Jonathan Taves pretty much the whole time, but they've split up Taves and Saad, which makes sense, considering Saad had like, one of his worst years ever, much lower. He only had 35 points. He'd been above 50 the previous three seasons. Now I'm very excited to see him playing with Kane and Schmaltz. That should be really good. And then also... Taves with Debrinket and Chris Kunitz, which is very weird to me. I can't believe Chris Kunitz is there. I was thinking maybe it was going to be Dylan Sakura on that other line. But either way, maybe we could start with Brandon Saad. Is he going to be one of the biggest surprises this year? Like he's fallen off everyone's radar. Like I said, like 35 points. It's terrible. Everyone was so excited for him coming into Chicago. So what do you think, Dimitri? Do you think he's going to get back to at least the 50 that he used to get all the time, especially if he's playing with Patrick Kane? Yeah, I don't see any reason, especially at the point of his career he's at and the consistency he had prior leading up to last season. It seems like this is one of those cases where he's purely a guy who just got completely submarined by the shooting percentages. And based on his career track record, we should expect him to bounce back this year. And I don't mean to oversimplify the analysis, but sometimes it really can be as simple as that. And if he's dropping in drafts because people are scared off by last year's performance, he seems like one of those obvious buy low candidates that if he bounces back to what he was prior to last year, you're going to get great value for him. That's exactly where I've got him too. I, I love that Brandon Saad is going to be playing with Patrick Kane, or at least I'm hoping that that is the case. And some more power play time on the top, you know, it would be so nice. Last year, Brandon Saad had one single power play point. That's it. And that was on top of that miserable luck that you just mentioned, Dimitri, like every variance related number was bouncing the wrong way for him. So I think there are a lot of people underestimating him and forgetting how he did survive uh, completely on even strength points to be a near 60 point player in Columbus, uh, his last season there. And he's still young. He's still just 26 years old still has plenty of good hockey ahead of him. So I don't think, I'll, I'll put it this way, I don't think you're going to be able to draft Brandon Saad as low next year as you're going to be able to draft him this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I love Alex Dabrinkit's upside for next year. Let's not forget about him. Like, I know that maybe it's not great if he's going to be playing with Chris Kunitz, but Jonathan Taves is a very good player still. And Dabrinkit, you know, for a rookie to have 52 points, like I know nowadays when you have the Matthews and the Lines and everyone, like, destroying the league in their rookie seasons but generally like Alex Brinkett 28 goals in you know 52 points in 82 games as a 20 year old now he's gonna be 21 I see a lot of great things for him I'm still taking to Brinkett over Brandon Saab do you guys agree with me on that yeah I think so but I think he's gonna be more expensive as well right yeah, exactly. Okay, and then I guess we have to talk about Corey Crawford. He's still injured. Apparently now the news is that he's not going to be starting the season, most likely. So I guess that means Cam Ward is the guy. Is there any Yikes. chance that he cannot be terrible? No. No, we've 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 gone through this dance enough times before. I don't see any reason to expect that he's even going to be league average, so I would stay far, far away. In my show notes, I only wrote puke emoji. Like the words, I didn't even put the emoji because I didn't know how in Google Docs. But that's how I feel about Cam Ward's uh, potential first couple weeks of the season on a Chicago team that has so much to figure out. Ugh. Yeah, Guys, like, we've got 30 seconds left. Come on, let's 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 bring this home. Well, hey, we've got the defense, so we can talk about who Cam Ward's going to have out there to support him. He's got Duncan. What Keith. about Dylan Sakura? Ah, whatever. He's not even in the top six. Forget him. Got to talk about <laughs> okay. Duncan well, Keith. Maybe he will be. I was going to mention how his situation reminds me of how we always thought Teravainen was just going to be, oh, yeah, this is his year. That that top line spot is reserved for him. And it just never happened. I wonder if this is a Joel Quenville thing or just an overhyped uh, Chicago prospect thing. 
Okay, Brad, that was a good comment. I'm glad that you got that in. And we don't even need to talk about the defense. They're terrible. Yeah. All right. That's exactly four minutes. Let's Oh, but Dimitri, in. quickly, 15 more seconds. Duncan <laughs> no. Keith, over under 45 points. I mean, he had like a historically bad shooting percentage last year, right? I, I think yeah. he, he'll probably score a couple more goals and he's going to have the opportunity there just because they don't really have anyone to play on the power play there. So I think he could kind of fall his way into a productive offensive season. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect him to turn back the clock. I feel like his uh, he's kind of on his last legs at this point. So yeah. you're taking the over. He's not taking over 45 <laughs> points, but if no, he gets a couple no, more no. points, he gets to 35 instead of 32. Yeah, I'd say I'd say high 30s, maybe low 40s. I think 45 is a bit too much. Yeah, 35 years old, Brian. Give it up. That's how old I am. <laughs> and I feel terrible. <laughs> All right, Colorado. So yes. we could just talk about their top line the whole time. They were so good last year. McKinnon destroyed. He had one of the highest points per game. If he wasn't injured, he would have had, you know, well over 100 points. He would have been competing with McDavid for the Art Ross. Uh, he, so he's great. Makes Ranton great. Landeskog is great. I'm curious, though, who is the fourth best forward on Colorado? Like, who's going to be their fourth leading scorer among forwards next year? I've, I've narrowed it down to, I guess, Jost or Alex Kerfoot, which is, like, quite a drop after that amazing top line. Who do you think it's going to be, Dimitri? Yeah, I'd say Jost, obviously, based on the on the pedigree and the talent, has the most upside. Kerfoot showed some flashes at the start of last year, but I feel like he kind of is what he is, and he settled into sort of being, I guess, a guy that you could kind of pick up off waivers and maybe play him while he's hot for a short period of time, but not so not someone you're going to rely on a full season. So I go Tyson Jost. I'd say you know one guy that I'd keep a really close eye on as the year goes along is potentially Vladislav Kamenev. Yeah. Um, I loved him while he was with the National Predators system, and he was obviously part of that big trade they made last year. And unfortunately, he got he took a nasty hit early in the year, I believe, and was pretty much out for the rest of the season. But he's got a ton of talent and especially it looks like they're going to be playing him at the wing to start the year, which I guess could free him up for, um, you know, some better scoring opportunities and maybe less defensive responsibility. So he's someone that I'd kind of stash away for, for later on in the year, but heading into it, it's, you're right. It's pretty much that top line and then a couple of defensemen and that's it in terms of fantasy goodness. I thought I was going to get to be the cool guy who brings up Vladislav Kamenev. <laughs> I saw like a couple tweets that were saying he was looking good. And then there's a couple more saying he's got to pick up the pace. All these preseason tweets. It's like, I, you, it feels like you could go all in on every single thing that's mentioned. And of course, it's not how it turns out. But uh, Kamenev, I, I have him on my radar too. Uh, he was one of the assets that came from Nashville in the Matt Duchesne trade. And uh, he, he was Nashville's 2014 second rounder. He's now 22 years old. This is already, though, his fourth pro season. And he has 67 points in his last 87 AHL games over the last two years. So that seems like a promising resume for someone trying to make the team. As for Tyson Jost or any fourth Colorado forward, I just feel like that's it. Like you're going to be owning three Colorado forwards. The rest are going to be waiver wire fodder just because Tyson Jost let's say he does manage to lock down the second line center spot. Who's he playing with at uh, Kerfoot, JT Comfer, Matt Nieto, or maybe even I might even prefer Colin Wilson. Is that, is that ridiculous? No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, you know, we talked about that top line. Um, I don't know where you guys, how you feel about it, but is it crazy to be taking Nathan McKinnon second in drafts after McDavid? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Like who are the other contenders or like, I guess Kucherov, 
then yeah, depending Rosby, I guess, if you're expecting like a bit of a bounce back offensively. Oh, it's definitely not crazy. Mighty. Yeah, it's definitely not crazy to go McKinnon. I, I'm sure he's been there in a lot of leagues, though. I, I'm always a big fan of the value over replacement for a defenseman. So you might I might want to go Eric Carlson or Brent Burns, but also I'm a bit of a super fan. We actually we both have McKinnon coming down a little bit from last year. Dimitri, are, mm-hmm. are you seeing the same or do you think he can actually sustain his uh, 107.7-point pace. So even if he comes down to only a 100-point pace, there's there's still an argument to be made that he could be the second overall drafted. Yeah, I was going to say, he might come down a little bit, but he still is going to be a freak. I mean, for him, the, the two questions heading into last year were, you know, the health, because he'd always seeming, seemingly missed like 15, 20 games, and the fact that his shooting percentage was so out of whack for a guy as talented as he was, and, and he had a healthy season except for that brief knee injury for a couple of weeks and finally started to convert some of those opportunities. And when you watch him play, he's just such a freak of an athlete that I, I don't see any reason why he would bounce back, would kind of regress back to anything that he was before that. So I think 90 ish points is reasonable for him, which puts him in that consideration with a Kucherov or a second row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's amazing. What do you think about the goaltending? I don't know how much time we have left. Varlamov, I feel like might be underrated at this point. Like everyone's always obviously excited about the new hotness in Grubauer coming in. Grubauer's being a great backup for so long in Washington, but you know, Scott Darling was a pretty great backup in Chicago and we see how he did. I, I don't, I mean, Grubauer is probably good, but at the same time, Varlamov is still there. He's in the last year of his contract. He had a 920 save percentage last year. I think there's a decent chance that Varlamov could be the starting goalie next year and you could probably get him at really great value in your drafts. Or do you think that it's just a matter of time and Grubauer is going to take over? I think both guys could have value. Uh, it might be a situation I'd stay away from just because I expect this Avs team to be, you know, playing a lot of kind of track meet back and forth shootout games that aren't necessarily great for goalie stats. So, um, you know, both guys definitely have some appeal. I think Grubauer has the higher upside just because we've never really seen him what he's capable of in this big of an opportunity. Maybe if he actually takes that job for himself, he could actually turn into a number one or number two goalie for you. But I think I'm kind of staying away from that situation as a as an overall philosophical thing. Oh, you're, oh. You're, oh, you want me to chime in? I mean, if you want to talk about the Colorado goalies. <laughs> uh, Grubauer. I don't know. I, I know that there's the concern that he is the next Scott Darling. First, I'll mention that we don't even know who Scott Darling is yet. Uh, you have last year's disaster to go from, and hopefully another season will either confirm that or give us uh, something more to chew on. But Grubauer was just so good last year by every single metric, and he stepped in. Uh, for Holtby, stole the job from Braden Holtby, although that was pretty easy the way Holtby was playing. Uh, so it makes me think he can probably do the same thing to Semyon Varlamov, play well enough, long enough to be able to take advantage of Varlamov's general inconsistency. Also, injury could probably open the door to Grubauer at some point too. I'm not low on him, but I'm also uh, concerned. You know, I, either of these guys don't excite me that much just because I don't want to have to waste a roster spot holding both of them and just getting limited games. All right, guys, let's do the stars. Dallas, here we go. So this is a really fun team. Every year, we're always talking about it. Who's going to play with Ben and Sagan? And then last year, it was Radulov, which meant all the other players. It was kind of like a Colorado situation where there were no other valuable players. Jason Spetsov was getting completely buried. But it looks like this year, we've got a new coach, and maybe they're going to spread things around. In the preseason, they've been going with Ben Sagan and Blake Como, of all people. And then a really nice-looking second line of Spetsa, Mishushkin, and Radulov. And so I feel like that could, first of all, be great for Blake Como, 
or whoever gets on that top line, but you just need a warm body there, right? Like Ben and Sagan are going to steal the show and anyone who's there is probably just going to pick up a bunch of points just because he's there. And then I really like Jason Spencer for a bounce back, only 26 points last season. And Nishushkin, by the way, was coming back from the KHL after never doing anything, even though he had a lot of upside. I feel like both of those guys could be potential bounce back or breakout candidates. Like I'm talking about Spezza and Nishushkin here. Like if they're playing with Radulov, it could be a really solid line. Yeah, I know you guys are fired up to talk about Jason Spezza in our pre-show meetings. Uh, part of the part of the part of the basis for doing the show was because you guys just wanted to talk about Jason Spezza. But no, I, I agree. Um, Nachushkin's kind of the you know kind of most appealing name there, just because he was so disappointing last time we saw him at the NHL level. But then he went away to Russia for a while, and you figure that now he's kind of he sh- at least should be theoretically in the prime of his career and. I don't know. I guess it's possible that he could finally live up to some of that draft hype and actually be that type of kind of two-way power forward that really turns heads. And I imagine you're probably not going to have to invest high draft capital in him. So he seems like he could be a worthwhile flyer. And and, and you're right, Spets. I mean, his last year was just so horrid for him by his standards. And some of it is obviously due to age-related decline, but it feels kind of hard to believe that he's completely fallen off the map and won't ever get it back. And we'll just keep getting healthy scratch. So I, uh, I like, I like both those guys. Elon, this is new what I'm hearing from you. Cause I've been on this Spezza rebirth. Oh my yeah, God. Re- rebort. Um, okay. No? Keep going. You can do this. I can do this. The Spezza resurgence train for well I, all all through last season i believed in spets more but had acknowledged that it certainly didn't look like it was going to happen while ken hitchcock was the coach now he's not so i've been uh, long suggesting uh, that spetsa could be relevant again but this is i swear this is the first time you've actually shown that you agree with me well, I really like that he's playing on a line with Radulov. Like, if Dallas yeah. is committed to spreading around the offense and having two good lines, then that means that Spezza can be a beneficiary of that. And why not? Because whoever that third piece is on the top line, it's kind of like Gaudreau and Monaghan in Calgary. How much extra value is that third person really adding? And and so why would you put someone like Radulov there when he might not... Uh, really be able to raise the ceiling that much higher than someone like Blake Como, who, by the way, career high, 46 points. Uh, that was in 2010, 2011, when he was a 24 year old with the Islanders. Anyone want to try and guess who one of his two most frequent line mates were that season? I'll leave that to Dimitri. <laughs> oh, hi. the 2010, 2011 Islanders. Oh, <laughs> Only one is still in the NHL. Actually of his top five most common line mates, three of them are no longer in the NHL. Was it, uh Blake uh was it Kyle Ocposo? No, it wasn't. That was a those were the John Tavares PA Parento days, even. Mm. Uh okay. Josh Bailey, Rob Shremp, Jesse Joins, Sue Jonathan Sim, and Matt Martin. Oh, yeah. isn't Matt yeah. Martin back there? <laughs> he sure is. The 2010 11 New York Islanders feel the excitement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And then- he, he's occasionally had like this sort of deployment. I feel he was in Pittsburgh a few years back, wasn't he? And didn't he? I feel like every so often he finds himself in a top six spot. I feel like the same thing happened when he was in Colorado, too. Seems like a, a reasonable veteran journeyman to help plug that hole better than who it used to be, like the Cody Eakins and Colton Seviers of the world. I will say about Blake Como, and this is definitely only for the fantasy people, he gets a lot of hits. He had 145 hits last year. So if he's on the top line getting even just like half point per game and racking up the hits, he's like your uh, Tom Wilson right there. And Como played with Malkin and Kunitz on the 14-15 Pittsburgh Penguins. 
Who else was on the 14, 15 pitch? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got <laughs> moving on. Stats Marcel Gock. <laughs> you um, used to love him, Brian. We used to love him. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I think we should move on to the Oilers right now. Yeah, I think this is what people want to hear, right? Everyone's getting so excited about this McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Ty Ratty line. Ratty had five points in last Thursday's 7-3 win over Winnipeg, and I'm sure he just got added in every single fantasy league around the world that's already drafted. And at this point, like, why not, right? If you're playing with McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, like, first of all, I'm super excited for RNH getting on that top line. If he could play with McDavid all year, and over the summer, I love the quote from McDavid where he said, I want to have some consistency on my line. And I feel like if McDavid wants it, McDavid should get it, which is amazing for Ryan Nugent Hopkins to go to the wing, play on the top line, top power play with the best player in the league. Then you throw Ty Ratty in there. All of a sudden, Ty Ratty could be like a 50-point guy. Obviously, he has to stay there all season long. And Edmonton is not known for keeping players on the top line for even more than 10 games in a row. But that said, it's very exciting right now. I'm curious to know what you guys both think about this Ty Ratty, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and McDavid line, if it's going to last, and what is everyone's upside if they're there? Yeah, I mean, if Ratty's going to last there all year, obviously you need to be grabbing him in your drafts. We, Connor McDavid's best player in the league by a mile, and anyone that plays with him is going to get a ton of value, if only by osmosis, and just kind of just standing around the net and 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 finishing his tap-ins while everyone else is looking at McDavid. But I'm kind of disappointed just because I understand that maybe spreading the wealth and going with three lines, uh, three scoring lines, is probably the best way for the Oilers to go about it from actually winning games. But I would love to see Jesse Pugliarvi actually get unleashed a little bit and get some top six scoring line minutes and not be, you know, they're kind of not really setting him up to succeed by playing him with Ryan Strom and Drake Ajula right now. So I guess that's kind of, you know, from an upside perspective, that's a bit disappointing for me to see, but obviously Ty Ratty's a big beneficiary. And as long as he's there, he's going to be worth owning and playing every day. It's disappointing for Pugliarvi for sure. I feel like he has something to show in the meantime. We'll see that Ratty. Yeah. I don't think he has much to show. I think he's going to be a guy, like you said, who stands around, and gets points just by being there. Uh, so good for him. Great that he works his way into this situation. Uh, but the the person playing on the depth chart between Ratty and Paul Yarvi is Kyler Yamamoto, who seems to have uh, he, a chance to play with Drysidle and show off his speed and skill and and be someone who who might blow up before Paul Yarvi just because of deployment like I, I don't actually know which one's better I would love to know how good either one is but the others just haven't yet shown enough patience with either guy for us to really get a sense of how much they can contribute yeah I guess it depends who gets on that second line like you're gonna have Dreisaitl and it seems like Lucic is gonna be there oh it's the sirens again but yeah Dre <laughs> and maybe Lucic so maybe it makes more sense to just go Yamamoto and Pugliarvi but if they want to put Lucic there then there's only room for one other guy there's also been uh, Tobias Reeder getting a shot on that second line. I'm just going to keep talking through it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah let's do it. Can we call it the hot take sirens? <laughs> okay, yeah. are we, am I giving a hot take right now? Like, <laughs> about Yamamoto? It's, it's automatically hot. Someone <laughs> has deemed it hot. <laughs> Two goals for Yamamoto yesterday. Four overall in the preseason. I know that doesn't mean anything, but just throw it out there. By the way, also Milan Lucic. Maybe we shouldn't completely forget about him. He's been lining up on the top power play with McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Oscar Clefbaum. So maybe Lucic could bounce back. Maybe pull a, what we're saying maybe Spezza could do, get back into some fantasy relevance after totally falling off last year. I can't believe like Lucic, what did he have? That's your 34 points. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's rough. I mean, he's... I don't know if he can reclaim it at this point, but just based on his kind of frame and, and physical stature and, and age and all the miles he's accrued in his body. But you're right. I mean, there's very few guys in the league who, especially if you play in a, in a penalty minutes league, who have that combination or at least potential of 
points and and pims so he could help you there but i think like a guy like yamamoto or, or pull as we mentioned are sort of the interesting names here just because if they do find their way into that top six and are on scoring lines they could really explode and, and make kind of actually move the needle for your team as opposed to just being a, a guy okay what do you guys think of this take i've got my hot take okay ryan yeah. newton hopkins is gonna get 70 points next year he had 17 points in 16 games to end last season when he got on the mcdavid line i feel like he's gonna stay there all year 70 points easy I like I just, it. Yeah, I I like it. I just don't know that the I just Oilers, don't love it. <laughs> well, no, I don't love it. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know that the Oilers can keep their fingers off the panic button long enough when they see that maybe their third line centered by Ryan Strom isn't quite cutting it and it's getting filled in. And so as they always have, they'll ask Ryan Nugent Hopkins to go in and mop up the mess, taking him off that top line. Yeah, I, I think honestly, like McDavid's so good at this point that I'm not sure – from a value added perspective, like if you just did have like Drake Kajula and Ty Ratty as his line mates, I think they'd be perfectly fine and you'd probably be better off actually having Ryan Nugent Hopkins anchor a third line. But for whatever reason, they seem reluctant to do so, whether it's been Dreisaitl or Nugent Hopkins, he's had had at least one of those top running mates on his wing. So I don't think there's any reason to expect that they're going to go away from that moving forward. That would be really bad for Brian and my projection for McDavid that we had in our almanac where we went. I, definitely the highest projection out there of anyone we've seen. 126 points for Connor McDavid. I mean, if the power play has a positive regression, I I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. I mean, that's obviously in today's NHL a, a jaw-dropping number. But as great as he's been the past two years, there's reason to believe that there's kind of more juice to be squeezed from that orange, which is a scary, scary thing to think about. Mm. More oil to be fracked from that rig. Uh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Do we have more time for Edmonton? Or we no, we're done. We're done. Moving on to the Kings. All right. Ilya Kovalchuk, did you guys see that goal on Thursday? So good. No. Mm-hmm. Can you can you describe it? He like went in. He went th- past one guy, went past another guy, <laughs> deeped the goal. He scored. It was beautiful. <laughs> anyway. Wow. It's, it's, like I, it's like I can see it. <laughs> so the thing I'm most curious about the, with the Kings is are they going to finally go to the four forwards 1D format on the top power play or are they going to stick stubbornly with having both Doughty and either like Muzzin or Martinez there because now they've got Kovalchuk in the picture so it seems like it makes so much sense you want to keep Jeff Carter there you want to keep Dustin Brown there who had this, his great resurgence last year you obviously want to have Kopitar there so it makes perfect sense right Kovalchuk, Kopitar, Brown, Carter, Dowdy, it's a beautiful top power play. Or are they going to be stubborn? And are one of these guys going to lose a ton of value because they're not getting the top power play time? Well, Daily Faceoff has them listed as Muzzin and Dowdy both being on a top power play unit. But I think that kind of logic and reason are going to prevail. And Kovalchuk will eventually wind up being on the point with Dowdy there. And kind of everything then falls into place with Brown in front of the net and and Carter in the circle and the half wall and, and Kopitar just doing his thing as sort of the centerpiece. So, I, I mean, yeah, that has a chance to be a absolutely lethal top power play unit. And I hope that that's what they do rather than kind of sticking with this archaic uh, two defenseman approach on it. I feel like I'd be a little disappointed to see Kovalchuk play the point. I, I don't know. how uh, He did play the point for New Jersey. I'm actually looking at the shot chart right now from 2013 when Kovalchuk played the point with Max Zidlitsky. But then the guys net front were David Clarkson, Travis Zajac, and Patrick Eliash. So at least the Kings have better personnel to, to be at the front of the net if Kovalchuk is going to, to have to hang around the point. Uh, yeah, it just makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather him shooting up close. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if anyone um, 
and this is assuming, you know, we haven't really gotten to see him in a couple of years now, but last time we saw him, he was one of the best sort of distance shooters that we've ever really seen in the game. So if anyone can make it work, it's him. But yeah, obviously you'd rather have your, uh, you'd have, you'd rather have your snipers as close to the net as possible. And then Dimitri, since we still have time, mm-hmm. right, let's revisit one of our biggest arguments from our fantasy hockey almanac that we did already like over a month ago now. Feels like just yesterday. Jonathan Quick had such an amazing year last year. You know, he finally was able to play a full season after that, you know, injury ridden year. He had a 921 save percentage, 33 wins. The Kings were great. He was great. And then Brian stubbornly said that, you know, he's like not really that much more above average as a goalie overall. And he wasn't expecting him to be like that great. So I'm curious to like, Dimitri, are you pro? Jonathan Quick being like one of the top elite goalies. And not to say that I am, but I'm just, you know, I'm framing the question here. Like, do you <laughs> think that Quick is like one of the best or do you think... You disagree with Brian, but also not refute anything I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Go ahead. Here's Brian's dumb point and I'm not committing to anything until you tell us what you think. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Dimitri. I think... Uh... I can definitely see it. I think from a fantasy perspective, I think I like Quick a lot more than from a real-life perspective. I think, you know, we've seen that just kind of in terms of volume and how many starts he's going to get and the system the Kings have that there's a lot to like there. So I think he's going to work his way into being kind of, I wouldn't say, I'd say towards the end of the top 10, maybe kind of in that in that 12-ish to 15 range. But I don't know, like how high are we talking? Because I don't think he's the top handful of guys. But anything after that, I'd be willing to listen to argument. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so Brian, you had a you had a good take. I, I'm going to serve it up to you. Like Dimitri said, how Kings have a really great system. I remember your reasoning had to do with a change in that system in LA. Uh, really? Yeah, you were saying how LA was like exposing him a lot more last year. Oh. And he had to be lucky. They were like, you know, opening up the defense or whatever. Yeah, sorry, I was just like in La La Land because Dimitri totally agreed with me and not you on that. Okay, but let's actually make some good content for the listeners. Say your interesting take about how LA's system has changed. Oh, well, so perhaps, I mean, we heard all about activating the defense at the start of the last season when when the Sutter era was over and John Stevens uh, took charge. And what that did to Jonathan Quick was uh, leave him a lot less protected than he had been in previous years. And you so, But he posted such an amazing save percentage that then you start wondering, okay, did he thrive? on this challenging workload. And I'm not saying like, I don't actually really buy into that. If he gets the same workload next year, I don't expect him to do quite as well. Last year to me seemed like an overachievement for him. I I, I see him in the nine teens somewhere over nine twenty. just seems too rich. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Should we go to Minnesota? Yes, let's do it. All right, so they were rolling with Granlin, Stahl, and Zucker on a line on Saturday. And Zucker is a guy who I think could be a really good sleeper for next year if like it's not already known that he's good like he had 64 points last season brian was saying before that he expects him to prove that it wasn't a fluke and hey how can you not do it when you're playing with such great players if he plays with granlin and stall like they'd usually be on separate lines but if they all play together and then with zucker that could be great for him so i'm curious to know what do you think about jason zucker for next year I mean, I've, I've loved him as a player for a long time now. I believe, I don't know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but last year was sort of the first year he actually started producing on the power play, which probably fed into some of that overall point production. And if he's going to keep getting those minutes and not just be purely a five-on-five guy like he was in the past, then I see no reason to believe that he won't be at least flirting with, if not smashing past that 60-point pace. Yeah, that is what happened last year. Suddenly, for the first time in his career, well, I'll I'll just rewind a little bit. Uh, because you take away his power play production and Zucker has 67 even strength primary points. So goals or primary assists over the last two seasons. And that ranks him 13th in the entire NHL 
in that category, even strength primary points. So that puts him in the company of guys like Nathan McKinnon, Henrik Zetterberg, Brad Marchand, Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Tarasenko, Jeff Skinner, Anders Lee, Eric Stahl. And the difference between Zucker and all those guys is that Zucker was not a power play fixture for so long until this most recent season. He's got his first substantial deployment there, and he responded with 16 power play points. So I expect him to at least hold that deployment on the power play, maybe get more, continue being an even strength stud, and that spells, uh, to me, a really great season ahead for Jason Zucker. Yeah, this might be, Brian, like what you said about Brandon Saad, maybe this is your last chance to get Zucker kind of late in a fantasy draft because people might say, oh, he did it once, but I, I doubt he could do it again. Who is he? This is Jason Zucker we're talking about. And then if he does it again and gets 65 points, all of a sudden, everyone's going to be onto him for the following season. And then, Dimitri, I'm really curious to get your take on the defense. Matt Dumba had that huge breakout last year, 50 points when it was all said and done. Like, he's getting all the buzz. People kind of forget, though, Jared Spurgeon was on the same pace overall in the year. He had 37 points in 61 games, but he got injured at the end. But that is actually also a 50-point pace. So I feel like Spurgeon is a great dark horse. I feel like everyone's going to be reaching for Dumba. And sure, why not? Dumba's really great. And it seems like Ryan Suter, you know, is going to start to regress. But don't forget about Jared Spurgeon. He's a really good defenseman as well and also gets a lot of points, also gets a lot of blocks, whatever that's worth. Yeah, I think all three of those guys that you mentioned there are going to have you know, plenty to contribute from a fantasy perspective. I'm I'm curious to see, you know, part of the part of Dumba's success last year was uh, the door was open for him a little bit with Ryan Suter getting injured and some of those minutes opening up and with Suter's advancing age and that injury and, and all those other factors to consider. I'm kind of curious if they're going to tone it down with his usage in the regular season, at least a little bit. So he's not, you're not seeing those crazy 30 minutes per night totals for him. And if there's more wealth to be spread around like that, and if, they actually keep Dumba up on the top pairing with him. All of a sudden, I feel like all three of those guys could be really good. Yeah, Dumba had that career high 24 minutes per game last year, three minutes more than he'd ever seen before on average. So with Suter back, we'll see how many of those minutes he can hold on to. Considering where they're both at in their respective careers, I feel like it's reasonable to to think he can hang on to at least one of those three minutes and maybe even more than that. He also has some some, uh, some positive regression to go uh, with his power play duties. Last year, he had just two goals on 45 power play shots. Uh, that's somewhere where he could probably do a little better. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm proud of us. We we haven't talked about Charlie Coyle as a as a potential sleeper yet. I feel like for the past five years, when I've been doing my drafts, so I, I keep thinking and hearing about how this is going to be the year Charlie Coyle finally puts it together and breaks out. And I'm kind of I'm done with that. We're finally he, done with Charlie Coyle. He I'm didn't even did he make the almanac, Elon? Yeah, we talked about him. We both put him down for a 45 point yeah, pace. Barely. He was he was the last forward to make the almanac. I like Zach Parisi more. Zach Parisi's the new Charlie Coyle. Hot take. Where Parisi. the sirens? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, Parise had a very productive end to his season, and there's been a lot of buzz in this preseason. Um, I believe Michael Russo at the Athletic wrote about you know how he was wondering if he'd ever play hockey again and all this stuff, and how he was really having a tough time with his rehab, and now he's finally feeling healthy. And I understand part of that might be kind of like a convenient, you know, heartwarming narrative to go with in the preseason. But if he actually is finally healthy and what we saw towards the end of the last year is, is the new norm for him. He could actually be probably a pretty sneaky low contributor for you. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. He's great for shots. And yeah, if he's going to be like, you know, top six, probably get decent power play time and just has to stay healthy. All right, let's do, uh, let's do the Nashville guys. I'm having so much fun. We should make this a, a podcast. <laughs> what would it be called? PDO. I don't know. We have to, I'm not going to try to guess. We'll, we'll we work it later. <laughs> like, we're, we're already started with our formats on Nashville. So you better get going. 
Okay, yeah. Well, then let's, of course, talk about Kevin Fiala. He had that huge five-point game versus Florida last week, playing with Johansson and Forsberg on the top line. Who knows how long it'll last? This is one of those, you know, we don't know for sure. But if Kevin Fiala bumps Victor Arvidsson from the top line, that will be so huge for him because Philip Forsberg showed last year he's a true superstar. He was almost at a point per game. And if Fiala can get there, like he had 48 points last year, he's always had this great pedigree but just wasn't getting super great deployment like second line last year nothing to shake your head at but if he could play on the top line i could see him getting 60 points yeah no he's an incredible player and obviously getting those minutes with forsberg and johansson is uh, a luxury he hasn't really gotten to this point of his career but you know even he showed last year which is promising that when kyle turris came to nashville i believe he was playing with him and craig smith and his numbers really took an uptick and yeah just the the pure talent you see from him and the speed he can play with he's one of those guys i've always thought of this of him he like when he figures out how to actually slow down a little bit he's going to become such a great player because it feels like he's just too fast right now that he sometimes overskates opportunities and i imagine that's going to come with more age and experience so this could definitely be the year that he really breaks out and becomes like a 60 point guy for you yeah i almost wonder if he can step right into victor arvidsson's production if he's going to be on the top line i'm not sure he's any less of a player than Victor Arvidsson. Remember, uh, Kevin Fiala was the 11th overall pick back in 2014, has a little bit of a pedigree there. 48 points in his age 21 season last year in barely 15 minutes of ice per game, which is really good. So age 22 season, feels like he's been around forever, but he hasn't been, and we can hope for more. He did, some people might look at his high shooting percentage and think uh, that's a little too high, so 48 points was more than he deserved. But I think if you offset that with some growth, and maybe even uh, even if he doesn't get to be full-time top line next year, a little deployment uptick should help straighten out whatever uh, whatever shooting percentage regression that he's looking at facing. But you look at Victor Arvidsson last year. He had 53 even strength points. I don't see why Kevin Fiala couldn't do the same thing on the top line. Yeah, and then you have Victor Arvidsson, who maybe gets bumped to line two, but still playing with Kyle Turris. And then who knows who the third piece will be there. It could be boring old Craig Smith, or it could be someone fun like Ellie Tolovanen or, you know, some young player. Uh, but yeah, I feel like Arvidsson, if he's still on the top power play, he'll still be fine, but obviously not as good, not on the top power play. Yeah, no, and Tolvanen's the guy that I really hope at some point we do see him bump up in that top six. I mean, it's going to be his first full NHL season, so we need to temper expectations a little bit, but just based on how he looked in his draft plus one season last year overseas. I, I understand why, you know, the hype can, the hype's there for him and he's a, a raw, just kind of pure goal scorer and shooter. So yeah, if he gets into, onto that second line, he could be someone that you should be maybe not drafting high, but kind of keeping, keeping in mind on your waiver wire as we get into the season. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay, for however much time we have left, Brian, we got to get Dimitri's take on the goalie situation. Saros and Rene. Is Rene exposed? Like, he, you know, he kind of choked at the end there. Now he's going to be an understood free agent. Is Nashville going to want to see what they have in UC Saros before Rene becomes an understood free agent? And is that going to be a problem for Rene? Or is Rene going to be one of the top goalies again, just like he was last year? I think, I think you know, both guys are going to have value. I think Rene won't necessarily be um, in the Vesna discussion again like he was last year. I expect some regression from that, but just based on playing for this team and still getting the lion's share of the starts, he's obviously going to have tremendous value in fantasy. And I think this is going to come up as a common theme for me as we get going with with more of these shows, especially with some of the teams in the Eastern Conference. But I'm always a fan of targeting, especially if you're in a deeper league, the backups on some of these really good teams. And a guy like UC Soros could provide tremendous value, even if it's only in you know, 20-ish or so starts. Although I, I think there's reason to believe with Rene only having one year left on his deal that this could be the year we finally see Saros actually get closer to more of a 50-50 split. 
Yeah, sorry. I guess uh, I was actually busy looking up. I was still thinking about Victor Arvidsson and how he only had eight power play points last season, even though he saw like two and a half minutes of power play time per game, even though that was still a less than 50% share of his team's total power play minutes. Because Elon, you said as long as Victor Arvidsson stays on the top power play unit, but that didn't even really help him all that much last year. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but I guess I should be polite and respond to the actual question. Uh, Renee's, I, I don't know, I think Dimitri nailed it. You've got Renee, who is unlikely to repeat what he did last season, another year older. Uh, Saros probably has a, like, like two years ago, we thought Saros had a, had a shot at stealing starts away from Renee. And I don't think that's any different today just because Renee stood on his head at times last year. So I, I think there will definitely be stretches where Renee struggles and Saros has a chance to at least step in for three or four starts while Renee sort of writes himself and gets his, you know, game straight. Uh, I, I just don't know that he's going to get more than 30 or 35 this season, which would still be great though. That's kind of high. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Okay. Brian, speaking of stretches, this is, this is going to be the best segue I've ever done. We've got a really long stretch. I actually have the list of teams here, just all the teams in alphabetical order, not just the Western conference. We've got a super long stretch of Eastern conference teams here. New Jersey, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Ottawa, Philly, Pittsburgh, Finally, we get to another Western Conference team. I was thinking, oh, we're only like halfway done. But no, we're already on S on San Jose, the team that we talked about so much last week when we talked about the Eric Carlson trade. Of course, Brian, you shared a theory on the last show about how there are only like so many points to go around on the already high-scoring Sharks team. So with Carlson coming in, could he get like 70-plus points like you'd expect him to do without eating into other people's totals? And it was this really like interesting discussion of like, okay, does that mean that we have to expect certain people to go down? Though we did have some people point out that even if the Sharks score just like let's say 25 more goals that's like 60 potential more points to go around once you add in all of the assists so yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens on san jose and apparently in the preseason we've been seeing that i love this the sharks have been playing burns and carlson on both power plays (laughs) pb1 and pb2 so they can see heavy usage both get like 100 of the power play time unless they need to go drink some water or something uh, yeah, and like Brent Burns, by the way, he was a near point per game guy for the final five months of the season last year after a slow start. So he had like 67 points overall. And maybe a lot of people might think, okay, well, yeah, he's getting older. I guess it's time for him to decline. But like after a really slow first month, he was on fire for the rest of the year. Clearly one of the best. So I feel like it's very possible that both could get 70 plus points and the main casualty just becomes someone like Evander Kane or LeBanc or Hurdle or whoever was going to get that top power play time before Carlson came in. Yeah, I guess the thing to watch there is the deployment because I would have thought that they'd potentially stick with Vlasic and Braun as their shutdown pairing and give them all the tough minutes and then have a you know two other separate pairings with Carlson and Burns driving them and just kind of unleash those guys to run wild offensively. But for the now, it seems like the plan is to have Carlson with Vlasic on a defense pairing together. And while those guys are so good that I'm I'm not worried about it, you know, plummeting carlson's value by any means maybe they're playing a bit more in their own zone and playing against tougher players so maybe we need to temper expectations a little bit but i mean come on he's eric freaking carlson he's gonna get in the 70s and points and if he stays healthy so i have no fear about that for burns I, one thing i would say is i'm very curious to see how those power plays shake out in terms of whether the puck is running through eric carlson a bit more because you know part of burns's value has been the fact that seemingly every single kind of shot opportunity has come from his stick and then them figuring it out after that. And I'm not sure if that's the most optimal way for them to be doing it because we know that shots from the point have a lower percentage of going in and burns himself while he's not your typical defenseman really struggled with that last year. So if they're using Carlson more as a playmaker and funneling the power play through him, maybe 
Burns' point totals don't decrease, but maybe his shot totals do a little bit, which in some leagues can obviously affect his value. Yeah, last week I floated out the idea that Brent Burns uh, sets up in the face-off dot and gets fed by Eric Carlson uh, or someone from across the crease or behind the net, uh, like Thornton or whoever, just, just you know, like sort of in the Ovechkin spot. Um, and that he's able to to do some good stuff from there. But I also, uh, it's a good point you make that from that position, he is not going to get quite as many shots on goal uh, as he would from the point. And also, I still, you know, I still believe in Eric Carlson, of course, getting 70 points. But Brent Burns, I think, does still suffer a little bit from them both being on the ice together on the power play, even if they were both on the point or, or just, you know, taking turns running the power play through them, uh, you know, uh, how many points can they really share on the blue line? It's not so often that both defensemen assist on the same goal. So that still limits uh, the two of their potential point totals somewhat. So I, I'm, I, I have Carlson still around the 70, uh, low 70s and I have Brent Burns around the low 60s. Low 60s. Damn. No, I'd go high 60s or mm-hmm. like for Brent Burns. But hey, Brian, that'll be a fun bet. What, where did you land, Dimitri, for Burns? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say in that kind of 65-ish point range. I mean... Just, right in the middle. Yeah, for I mean for defensemen, you you do have to temper your expectations a little bit, but if anyone's gonna just destroy the models and and put up an irregular point total, it's gonna be a guy like Burns. Um before we move off the Sharks, I gotta talk about Timo Meyer a little bit. Yeah. He, he's great. I, I've been asked a couple times by followers on Twitter sort of um who like my favorite breakout guy this year is, and it's obviously a bit of a tricky question because it's all about perspective and and sort of what you're defining as a breakout. Um, and we saw flashes of it last year, but he's just his shot generation ability and sort of the natural progression we've seen from him over the past couple of years. And now the fact that it looks like he's going to be a mainstay on that second line with Couture and Hurdle, at least to start. Um, I think the world of that guy as a player. And I think that, you know, something in the in the mid to high 20s in terms of goals with a ton of shots is a very realistic possibility, which obviously makes him an incredibly valuable player. Dimitri, am I listening to a rerun of last year's PDO cast going into the season? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you are actually. I was just replaying it. <laughs> but we both, I, I think at that point, you probably thought he was going to get more minutes to be able to to do the things he does. Like if you look, if you control for minutes and say, okay, forget how how often he plays. How does he do with the minutes he has? Timo Meyer is pretty much a top 20 guy in the NHL and shots on goal and shot attempts per 60 minutes. So you're just waiting for that moment where a coach puts him over the board several more times or leaves him on for longer shifts each night. And then, I mean, you would hope that the shots keep coming at those rates and that would make him really stand out. Yeah, I liked uh, my analogy was that Timo Meyer last year is maybe like Victor Arvidsson the year before he broke out because Arvidsson was taking a lot of shots, actually, but he just wasn't, you know, getting the great deployment. And Timo Meyer last year was mostly in the bottom six. But like Dimitri said, if he gets into the top six, you know, that could be a huge improvement. Though, of course, Arvidsson also got on the top power play. Dimitri, one last quick thing about San Jose. Like now that they have Eric Carlson, how high does that rank them now in terms of cup contention? Like all of a sudden, are they like top five team in terms of chances to win the cup? Yeah, I think they have to be. I mean, obviously, in the NHL, you you never really know. It feels like there's just like a handful of teams that all uh, should have similar shots. But I'd put them right up there with, uh, with the Tampa Bays of the world in terms of like the four to six teams that are most likely to be there at the end of the day. How good do you think Martin Jones is? I mean, I think he's going to get a ton of wins. Um, I... <laughs> I don't know. Last year was a, a bit dicey for me, obviously. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Aaron Dell there. I'm not sure how I feel about 
you know, banking on Martin Jones as, as my number one guy, but based on the hype of around the Sharks team, I feel like you're going to have to pay quite a bit to get him on your team. Who's the last like below average goalie in terms of, re- you know, like regular season save percentage to win the cup. And I guess actually Braden Holby answers the question right there, but like, who's the last like goalie who wasn't, you know, like that great to win the cup. I'm just trying to Cam think. Ward? Anti Niemi on the Blackhawks. Oh, so, mm-hmm. so we're going back a while. Yeah. There's been some bad ones. Yeah. yeah, it was Matt Murray for a couple of years. Who's good. Corey Crawford for Chicago. Yeah, so it might be tough for Jones. But I guess goalies in the playoffs. Like, you just need to get hot for a little bit. And all of a sudden, there you go. Yeah. Like, Jake Allen had that great run at the start of last night. Oh, what a transition there. Are we going to talk about the Blues next? Of course. Though, I wasn't really planning on talking about Jake Allen. He's still injured. Vinny, or is it Vili? Vili Huso has been having a great preseason, apparently. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, maybe Jake Allen's injured to start the year. You've got Chad Johnson, Vili Huso tandem to start the year. I wonder who would get more starts there and who would, if like Huso can make the team afterwards once Allen is healthy. Do you have a, a take on that? Yeah, I mean, Huso is obviously the long-term option there. I think if you're like in a keeper league or a dynasty league, he's obviously someone you have to have on your radar. But I think for this season, um, Chad Johnson's one of my favorite sort of goalies because I never pay for goalies in my drafts and I'm going to be targeting Chad Johnson late because just because I think that even if Jake Allen is healthy, we've seen that the Blues are going to kind of go with more of a split and a hot hand and go for a more 50 50 deployment rather than having one uh workhorse starter and if you're getting even 30 35 potentially 40 starts uh behind this blues team that i'm expecting a lot out of this year i think that there's a lot of reason for optimism for for chad johnson to put up nice numbers i mean we saw what carter hutton did behind that team last year and we've seen you know the brian elliott's of the world and what they've done for these blues teams obviously under ken hitchcock so maybe slightly different circumstances but I think there's a lot of reason to like Chad Johnson as a guy that you don't have to spend a lot on that could wind up giving you really good numbers, even if it's in a limited amount of starts. So this is you saying you like the St. Louis backup, right? It's not you saying that Chad Johnson is a legit starting goalie? Yes, I, that's definitely more of that. Although we did see it's tough to evaluate him because I feel like there's been a lot of like Buffalo seasons there where it's really skew things. But, you know, we saw he, he was good for, for the Calgary flames there for a while. And obviously he was yeah. good as a backup for, for Boston. So I think he's more of like your prototypical NHL backup that can occasionally spot start, but on this team in this role, I think that's a perfectly, it's kind of like the perfect spot for him. Mm-hmm. And so up front, unfortunately, Robbie Fabry's injured again. So sad. Poor guy. He's the got worst. A- yeah, he's got a grade one groin strain. And guys, I, I did some research. Take a guess. Is grade one groin strain like the worst or like the best? It was grade one bad or grade one good? It's just uh, after good. you graduate from a kindergarten knee injury. <laughs> grade one's good. Grade yeah, one's so that's good. good. It's not like a first degree burn. Okay, yeah. grade one groin strain. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll actually be able to play next season, which would be nice. But for now, in training camp, it looks like the lines are shaking out to be second line of Shen, Schwartz, and Perron. I'm saving the top line because that's the more interesting one to me ryan o'reilly vladimir tarasenko and pat maroon mm-hmm. maroon's there again and he's already scored a couple preseason goals and here's a fun fact pat maroon has played with the last two Hart trophy winners during their award-winning seasons he played with mcdavid for a lot during that year a couple years ago on the oilers and last year he got traded to new jersey he was playing on the top power player taylor hall Will the pattern continue with Maroon having relevance, Ryan O'Reilly finally breaking 70 points, and Vladimir Tarasenko finally breaking out and winning the Hart Trophy this year? I don't know about the last two, but I love Patrick Maroon this year, assuming he's going to stay in this role. I mean, even dating back to earlier in his career, we saw him playing with Ryan Getzlaff and thriving in those roles as well. So he's kind of like that perfect... 
complimentary guy that you slot in with your top players and he just sort of knows where to be and when to be there and has to stick down on the ice and converts those opportunities and I think he's going to be great in that role and it kind of sucks I guess I mean Jaden Schwartz and David Perron are awesome players in their own right but I, I feel like Braden Shen was one of the most surprising players to me last year from a production perspective because I wasn't expecting anything nearly resembling what he did and if he's not going to be playing with Vlad Tarasenko in those cushy minutes maybe um, he's going to regress a little bit from what he did last season. I'm glad that you did not uh, take the bait on Tarasenko's heart trophy season. Elon thinks that Tarasenko's just bound to break out. And I'm like, no, he's been exactly the same for the last few years. So so he's going to do that again. Also, Elon, you mentioned Patrick Maroon. I love that you've made this connection. And uh, I, I can appreciate your hope that Patrick Maroon really is the difference maker. Remember, he was also uh, doing a pretty good job complimenting Ryan Getzlaff back in his Anaheim days before even moving on to Edmonton and doing it with McDavid. Also also Ryan O'Reilly is new. So Tarasenko's got some new blood to play with. For sure. For sure. And uh, I understand your optimism and I support it wholeheartedly. I just don't necessarily buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, I mean, can Tarasenko even break out at this point? I feel like he's already broken out. and, And as you mentioned, he is who he is. Like if a guy's already scoring 40 ish goals, I feel like, expecting anything more from that is, is kind of crazy unless I guess you're expecting him to take the mantle from Ovechkin. Yeah, kind of crazy. It is like you can set your clock to, to Vladimir Tarasenko, set your clock, set your watch to Tarasenko being in the, the, the mid-70s. And last year was actually an exception when he had just 66 points. This is the age 27 season. So I'm not counting on any new tricks. Elon, I know you're so pumped about his supporting sure. cast, but remember, uh, Paul Stasny left. That hurts him. Yeah, but Ryan O'Reilly... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not, like, actually... I'm just trying to say there's a chance. Obviously, I'm not going to go and bet $1,000 that is going to win the Hart Trophy, but I feel like it's not outside of the realm of possibility. He's been a great star for a while, but he hasn't, you know, taken that step into superstardom, and, like, he's not that far away from it. Like, at the start of last season, he was at the top of league scoring before Jaden Schwartz got injured. So, and I know, Brian, we talked about it a lot in the Almanac. He said how, you know, he had some high percentages and all of that. Just to say, like, don't forget about Tarasenko. Like, I don't think it would be, like, the most surprising thing in the world if all of a sudden he gets, like, 85, 90 points. But I'm not saying it's likely. Yeah, I I think you can probably frame about every single hockey projection take that way. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Let's get the sirens going. Yeah, no, this team's loaded. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the season, we could be looking back and saying there's, like, seven or eight guys on this team that, had monster fantasy seasons. I, I really like the blues here. <laughs> Brian doesn't like when I have fun. And so this <laughs> next player, uh, this next player I'm going to have fun with again, and Brian will probably poo-poo me. But on Vancouver, Elias Pettersson, how good is this guy? He's doing so well in the preseason. He's been centering the second line with the likes of like Goldobin and Gagne, but still getting points every game. Obviously, top power play, like jumped right in there, no question, with like a pretty decent group of players to play with, at least on the top power play, like Besser and Horvat, Alex Edler, who is, I think, a little bit underrated. I'm going to call it right now, like Elias Pettersson, he is my Calder pick. Brian predicted 40 points for him in the Almanac. I went 50, and at this point, I don't know. I kind of feel like I just want to go higher. I know that the reason, Brian, that you had wasn't because you don't think he's good. Like, you brought up all these amazing connections to him and how, like, he's been the best player from the SHL since Peter Forsberg. But, you know, like, but then you said, like, yeah, he's not going to have good players to play with. But I feel like, does it even matter? Like, Peter Forsberg, I'm sure, could have gotten 55 points even with crappy players. He was so good. And Elias Patterson, he just seems great. Like, what do you think, Dimitri? 
Oh yeah, he's been the the preseason uh, breakout gift star. I mean, it seems like every night the, the Canucks are playing, he's doing something ridiculous, passing it through his legs, no look, breaking ankles, and it's it's he's been remarkable to watch. And the Canucks have desperately needed uh, a reason for excitement beyond, I guess, what Brock Besser did last year. But you're you're right. I mean, he, I think that he's going to have some struggles at five on five. Um, once the regular season gets going, it's natural for any young skilled player such as he is. I think that a lot of his production is going to come on the power play and he seems like a natural fit, uh, feeding the puck to Brock Besser. So he could still be tremendously useful from a fantasy perspective, even if he does struggle. So yeah, I think whether it's Besser or Pedersen, or I I know you guys have talked about Alex Edler and and tweeted about him in the past. And he seems like one of those guys that he's just kind of been around for so long. And for whatever reason, maybe it's being on this Canucks team or, or, or the fact that he has been around for as long as he has that he doesn't really excite anyone, but at the end of the day, his counting stats could be good enough to merit legitimate consideration for your lineup. I love Elias Pedersen too. Like I I'm as excited as you are, Dimitri and Elon as excited as you are. I want to have fun. I'm a fun guy. Like Kawhi Leonard. Did you see that interview? Yes. Referencing sports. You know, you know, fun people don't tell people that they are fun. They just are fun and people Uh, know it. I, I, I broke the first rule of being fun. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I am willing to move my projection higher for Elias Pettersson. Elon, I think I'm the one who got you excited when I told you that that uh, Peter Forsberg was the, the record, uh, owned the record that Pettersson broke in the Swedish men's league as a 19-year-old. And uh, as you both have said, the substance that we've seen in preseason has matched the hype. And it's a small sample but it looks pretty uh, assuring. Like there's not a whole lot of doubt in my mind as to whether Elias Pettersson is a talented hockey player. The question is the guys around him. And if he does even get to play with Brock Besser outside of the power play, but we'll worry about that when we get there for now, I'm happy. Elon, I'm joining you on the Elias Pettersson for Calder train. I don't even know like who else middle stat. There's some guys, but you know, we can't waste too much time. We don't have that much Vancouver time left. And I do want to touch on Alex Edler. Dimitri brought him up. Svechnikov. Yeah, for sure. Zadina, I guess. Uh, Edler started slow last season, ended with 25 points in his final 41 games. That's a 50 point pace for the second half of the season. And that's really good. And also fantasy purposes, he gives you tons of shots, hits, blocks. He gets power play points. He's got the potential to be a true multi-category stud in your fantasy league. If he can stay healthy, like I could see like 45 points, 20 power play points, 200 plus blocks, 150 plus hits, you know, whatever. But of course that if he can stay healthy, that's the big, if he hasn't played more than 74 games since 2011, 2012, he very likely to miss time this year, just like he does every year. Yeah. And when he's healthy, you know, he's, as you mentioned, he's going to give you a little bit of everything. And just, you look at the rest of that blue line, he's going to be on that top power play unit and they're going to give him pretty much they're going to get him run in every single situation, regardless of, of what's going on in the game or, or, or what, what, what. So I think that he's definitely no one, when you draft him, no one's going to get excited about it, but at the end of the day, he could provide tremendous value for you. Yeah. Those are the fun guys who you, who you pick really late or you even just pick them off the waiver wire. I, it's sort of like Eric Johnson was in the last couple of years, although I'm not sure he can be again this year. The one really nice thing about Alex Edler is that he actually reinvigorated his even strength shot rates last season. At age 31, he brought them back up after a couple down years. The The offside of that or the downside of that is that he's not quarterbacking the greatest top power play unit in the league, but he still is quarterbacking a power play unit. So, so absolutely, 
available for great value in a lot of leagues. I feel like a lot of people who are showing us their teams after they draft and have these defensive deficiencies, it's like, is, is Alex Edler available? Yeah, make a swap. And Brian, you can't poo-poo that top power play if, Eli- if Elias Pettersson is there. He's so good. He's just going to pass so Pettersson. You're right. Brock proof Yeah, and Brock Besser. All right, let's do the Golden Knights. Okay, so we've spent like too many shows breaking down the top line. Like, I know, Dimitri, would be fun to get your take on what to make of William Carlson's high shooting percentage, well, but honestly, I just can't talk about him anymore. I'm tired. I want to talk about the second line, actually. Yeah, I that's what I want. Interesting. Exactly. Let's talk about that. So we assumed it was going to be Stasny, Pacioretty, and I was thinking the big person who was going to get hurt from Stasny coming in was Eric Haula, who would go down and center the third line, but he's actually been playing on the second line with Stasny, Pacioretty in the preseason. And he's been doing pretty well. And if he sticks there, maybe he can actually repeat his big 55-point breakout from last season. Though apparently Alex Tuck is going to be getting the chance to play on that second line tonight. So I guess that job's very much up for grabs. Do you have a take on who you think is going to get it? I'd hope that at the end of the day, Tuck will get it. I think he has the higher upside. I think we saw last year during the postseason what he's capable of as sort of your prototypical power forward. And I'd love to see what he could do playing with those two guys. I, I'm all in on Max Pacioretty this year. I think he's going to have a monster season. I think he's going to firmly get back into that 30 plus goal club it's a a great fit uh assuming paul stasny can stay in the lineup and keep some semblance of health this season um just in terms of him being a playmaker and patrick being a finisher and last year he shot like eight eight something percent uh which was way down from his career norm even though he has been a volume shooter for all these years so all put all those things together and then the sort of off-ice psychological components of being freed up from a terrible situation in Montreal and now having a long-term contract and not having to worry about any of that stuff. I think that Patch is one of those guys. I'm not sure how people are how how people excited people are about him heading into drafts, but I think he's gonna have a monster, monster throwback season. Yeah. I, I Elon told me last episode I always answer with yeah, but I, I'm just so much in agreement. I'm very excited about Max Pacioretty's year coming up. You you summarize all the reasons why we can expect sort of a, a rebirth of Pacioretty and some really great goal scoring numbers this season. I love Paul Stasny as a playmaking center and also a defensively responsible one too. Is going to help move the puck up. And uh, the third piece, Eric Howla needs it to be him if he's going to have any kind of relevance. This year, I also I've gone on enough. I think about my hope that Alex Tuck is the guy and that he can make something of that third spot. Howla is uh, is sort of in trouble, especially if he falls off uh, that top six projection, like where where he was playing in the last preseason game. He scored twelve power play goals on twenty six power play shots last season. So beyond. Uh, probably uh, seeing, well, definitely seeing a, a decent chunk of regression there. He's also lost, uh, I don't know, it, just nothing looks rosy for Eric Hall the next year. This is his only semblance of hope of being fantasy relevant. I, even if he starts the year in that second line right wing spot, I still think it's going to be Alex Tuck before long. The other guy who I haven't even mentioned yet is Tomasz Nosek, who, who played a preseason game there. But uh, I don't know. I, he, he doesn't seem to be the type to fit in there. Yeah, don't worry about him. And Brian, I think you're way down on Howla. The fact that he's been playing well on the second line, I thought you're saying, oh, like nothing's rosy for him. The thing that's rosy for him is he might start the year playing with Stasny and Pacioretty and he might totally like break out. Like whatever, Alex Tuck, maybe he has some upside, but at the end of the day, he's Alex Tuck. Come on, like Eric Howla had 55 points last year. And if he's going to play on this amazing line, all of a sudden, you know, I think Eric Howla could be a great sleeper. Like, I think a lot of people are thinking there's no way he'll repeat. And I feel like that would be a great reason to expect him to repeat getting 55 points again. 
Eric yeah. Howlett had 55 points last year. It was, yeah. it was not a world's beating season and he needed a really high shooting percentage to do it. And he needed to be on a power play unit that was well balanced, which I'm not sure is going to be the case this year in Vegas. And before that, although, you know what, it's unfair to say before that for any of these Vegas guys, I, if I was to guess, if we put Eric Halla and Alex Tuck in the exact same lineup spot uh, and ran a simulation and, and saw who would score more points, I am certain it would be Alex Tuck. He's definitely the upside play. I think if you, uh, depending on where you're at with your lineup construction and where you're at in the draft, I, I could see an argument for either guy before we move off of Vegas. I did want to talk about the blue line a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure. I've got it all here for you because Shea Theodore still doesn't have a contract. Yep. And he, if he sits out for a little bit, you got Nate Schmidt suspended for 20 games. Someone's going to get a huge opportunity. Obviously, Colin Miller seems like the obvious option based on last year's results. But maybe we shouldn't sleep on the 2017-15th overall pick, Eric Brandstrom, making the team and getting solid deployment. He's got four points in four preseason games so far before tonight. Good amount of power play time. What do you think is, is going to happen, Dimitri? Yeah, no, I think fire up to Eric Branson. I'm very excited about him. I, I, I viewed him as more of a long-term project. I didn't think he'd be up and playing a big role this quickly, but he's looked tremendous in this preseason, and there's definitely an opportunity there. I mean, you just look at the fact that Nick Holden's in their top four right now and Derek Englund's on their top pair. And I just, I think that Brandstrom's upside and his puck moving ability is something that, especially if Theodore's not going to be around for those first 20 games with Schmidt out as well, they're going to desperately need and crave. And Brandstrom's one of the few guys they have that can do that. And even if he starts the season on the third pairing and maybe with minimal usage, it's one of those things where if he keeps turning heads and keeps, you know, impressing people with this play, he could very quickly move up depth chart and then all of a sudden you're talking about a really viable fantasy contributor yeah i mean that top power play spot is i think still up for grabs if shay theodore is out and it's not as if shay theodore was such a world beater there so maybe it's even up for grabs maybe i'm getting too far ahead of myself now i uh, i'm imagining that we're done our vegas time yeah let's do let's do the jets and finish up this uh, western conference component of this podcast all right well i'm gonna make this one easy let's talk about patrick line like how can we not how good is patrick line he had 44 goals and 70 points last season as a 19 year old now he goes into his age 20 season already his third season at such a young age is he gonna hit 50 goals 80 points well, here's the frightening thing about him. I was reading Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts either last week or the week before, and he had a note in there about how um, what Line A was focusing on this season was working on his conditioning so that he can actually start playing more more minutes because you know he was putting up all those crazy goal totals and point totals, but his actual usage wasn't even that high. And part of it has to do with the fact that the Jets kind of have this evenly spread out attack and and a lot of different players to play, so they can't necessarily just load up on the one line. But if Line A is going to get even more usage, um, I think you know any 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 goal total seems plausible because even though his you know the counterpoint would be all oh, his shooting percentage is unsustainable it's too high we've sort of seen at this point that he might just be one of those guys kind of like the prime Ilya Kovalchuk prime Steven Stamkos that makes us recalibrate our shooting percentage expectations because in the high teens and potentially approaching 20 even with his shot volume is plausible just based on how good that shot is. That's exactly where I'm at. It, it's shocking to know that Patrick Laine has done what he's done, seeing just 16 and a half minutes a night. So you can just expect that he's going to get a bump in deployment and, and that would be enough for him to have a career year, let alone the possibility that he actually improves his efficiency in getting shots on net and putting shot attempts towards the net. Uh, 
he has 80 goals over his first two NHL seasons. And what's amazing about that is there are only two players who have done that in their first two seasons since 2005, 2006, Malkin and Ovechkin. But Malkin had 500 more minutes of time on ice in those first two years. And Ovechkin had a thousand more minutes of time on ice than Patrick Liney has. And that just really emphasizes how Patrick Liney is doing this all with second line minutes, which is just terrifying. Yeah, so Dimitri, you asked earlier on, like, is Nate McKinnon potentially the guy that you want to take second overall in a fantasy league? Maybe, is it even crazier to ask? Is Patrick Laine the guy you want to take second overall, especially if it's like a keeper league where you're wanting to keep these guys long term? Yeah, no, I think he's definitely like in consideration there. I mean, I it I didn't even consider him, to be honest, when I was thinking of those guys for second overall. But when you th- unpack it a little bit further and you think about, you know, the room for growth and the fact that he still hasn't gotten the peak usage we're expecting him to get in the years to come. Um, His ceiling is as high as anyone's really. All right. And with that, we've made it through the entire Western conference. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dimitri. This felt like so natural as if we've been doing this our whole lives. Yeah, no, it did. Um, Would you guys like to return the favor, I guess, immediately and come on my show to do the Eastern conference part? Let us do it. So for anyone listening, if you want to listen to the next part, the Eastern conference part, uh, you could go and subscribe to the PDO cast. You should already be subscribed to it. You might already have this episode in your feed. You could also go to keepingcarlson.com slash PDO. I'll make sure to have that set up before this episode goes live. And that will redirect you to the episode, to the PDO cast feed. It's obviously an amazing podcast. Demetrius Fantastic. He gets really cool guests all the time. And he's about to have a really cool guest coming up in us. So- Brian Kong. <laughs> yeah. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, maybe I'll just say a, a couple super quick things. We did no advertisements today for you guys. Just wanted to give you all the goodness, but we've got keepingcarlson.com slash patron. If you want to support the show to start the year, you get a bunch of great perks. So check that out. That's all I'm going to bug you with. Keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. Also, if you want to get our 32 chapter full, like much more in-depth recap of the entire league and what we think of people's fantasy values. But that's it. Thanks everyone. Uh, Brian, anything you want to say before we uh, switch over to the PDO cast? Well, I just want to give everyone a heads up that because of all the time we went over on certain teams, we will not have any time to talk about the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair. All right, bye everyone. Thanks, Dimitri. So, oh, let's... I guess I should I should credit. Okay, actually, yeah, you're right. We, this is the end of an actual show, so let's cue the outro music and Brian read us the credits. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, Fantrax, and Yahoo. All right, great job as always, Brian. Great job, Dimitri. We'll catch you all with another episode of Keeping Carlson next week. And check out keepingcarlson.com slash PDO for another jam-packed episode about the Eastern Conference. Bye!